Arm yourselves, America. This is Defenders Live on Mojo Five O Radio. You can find us pretty much anywhere that you can find any of your wonderful podcasts. But if you'd like to listen to us live, it's right here on iHeartRadio. Go to the Mojo Five O Radio app. Uh, right over there, you can find us live right there, or you can go to Mojo Five O uh, Mojo Five O on the uh, Facebook page. You can see the video there and uh, chat with us over there. You can also chat with us on the BWE pages, um, or what is that? Twitter, Twitter. If you use the hashtag, use the handle uh, at DOE Show or at Stephen Airy, um, or the hashtag. Um, I see what you did there because I did see what you did there tonight. I have with me the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Michael Knowles. I don't know if you guys know about him, but this man, he's not only an actor and a voice actor. He, uh, what is it, the, the Another Kingdom, which is a great narration that he has done. He's written a book that, uh, that has absolutely no words in it, sold millions of copies. I wish I had thought about it myself. Um, and he's also the host of the Michael Knowles Show. Michael Knowles, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Um, I hope I got everything correct on there. Was that, was that about right? That uh, I usually lead with the blank book because it's the most consequential thing I've never done. But uh, I think otherwise you got it all, all just about right. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, not a problem at all. I mean, um, not everybody on Mojo has heard of you. I know this because I've asked. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, so tell people about yourself, who you are, what you've done, um, why it is that, uh, that we'd want to talk to you, honestly. <laughs> I was going to ask you that very question. <laughs> I, I've ended up now, I'm out here in La La Land, one of the handful of besieged conservatives out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in, uh, for as much of a professional life as I've had, I've worked in show business and politics. So I've done you know, plenty of uh, film, TV, plays, that sort of thing. And at the same time, even as a starving actor in college and after college, I was working in politics. I did my first political campaign at about 18 and uh, got some traction, got to do some uh, fairly trollish activities on that campaign. That was for a congressional challenger named Nan Hayworth in New York. And the long and short of it is we were running against an incumbent named John Hall, who had been a rock star in the 70s. He was in the band Orleans. Mm. So I started a side campaign called the Young Voters for an Orleans Reunion Tour to get him on the road and out of D.C. And we were ripping off their music videos. We were doing pretty early kind of YouTube political operations. And anyway, it uh, did pretty well, and we ended up beating the incumbent. And so I started working on campaigns on the side. But as you may have heard, there are not many political conservatives in show business. No, it's uh, really a vindictive and t- tough, tough industry, very politically one-sided. Mm. And so, you know, coming into Los Angeles, I was working a bit in New York, working a bit out here, and there was a little group of right wingers in the entertainment industry, and that was how I really knew all of the Daily Wire guys. I knew Jeremy Boring, who was running the thing. I met Ben. He was one of the first people I met in L.A., uh, Andrew Clavin. And this was before the Daily Wire existed. And they decided to put this website together, work on some political commentary, some political satire. Mm -hmm. They put it together, and then three years later, 
by the by the grace of the God King, lowercase G, lowercase K, Jerk's boring, <laughs> and uh, and and the grace of the the real God King mm-hmm. with the uppercase letters. Yes, the Daily Wire has grown into this huge website. You know, a ton of page views every month. Our shows are all um, pretty popular as far as podcasts go, and it's just been a wild ride. And the way I ended up getting my show, as you said, was I didn't write a book. I did a blank book called Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide, 260 or so blank pages, very extensive bibliography. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up, within just a few days of self-publishing this, it became the number one best-selling book in the world. And it stayed that way for about a week and a half until I finally, finally started to go down a little bit. And uh, I, I had been doing a hit on Fox and Friends, mm. and I guess the president saw it, and he tweeted his endorsement of the book, and uh, then it shot right back up to the top. Heck yeah. Uh, so now I need to work on the—I have to get onto the you know, revised and expanded edition, I think, for the 2020 election, you know, add a few more chapters. I, I was, that, uh, they can be inspired by Kamala Harris or somebody. I was, I was kind of wondering if you were going to do, like, a sequel, um, you know— <laughs> Reasons to vote to, um, you know, well, something like that. Well, the providing a lot of uh, material for it. So yes. between Senator Spartacus mm. and Chief Liawatha, Liz Warren, and uh, Kamala Harris, and there's just so much material, I think I'm going to have to write a sequel. Oh, don't even, uh, don't, don't stress about forgetting uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, occasional cortex. Yes. yes. We're going to have to include her in there without question. <laughs> you know what's amazing about her? Just a little biographical note. Mm. She tweets out these things, and she says that she's Jenny from the block, or she's Alex from the Bronx. Yes. Uh, she always describes herself this way. She did not grow up in the Bronx, and I know this because she and I grew up in towns right next to each other in a very ritzy part of the suburbs. Mm. Ironically, she actually grew up in a far ritzier town than I did. I grew up in Bedford Hills, yes, which is middle-class town. Um, you know, it's very nice, but a very diverse town, not not affluent compared to other towns in the area. Mm-hmm. She grew up in this super ritzy place. And she pretends now that she grew up in the project in Canarsie or something, but it's a total farce. <laughs> is is that why when, when she was all like, oh, I don't have money to go move to D.C., but I have, you know, however many thousands of dollars in the savings account, really she was complaining from from a, from a an idea of uh, being wealthy and rich. She doesn't have any money, but she does, and she can't. She just doesn't want to spend it. That's right. Well, if you if you grew up in a very ritzy part of the suburbs, then it, you only having $8,000 or so in your bank account, you think, gosh, I'm really running low. Yeah. Of course, compared to the rest of the country, you're doing pretty well as a 28-year-old. Yeah, you're, you're doing pretty that. good as a, as a 20-something-year-old. According to voter records, by the way, she was living with her parents until... 2016. So <laughs> she should have had no rent to pay until then. I don't. I think uh, after all those years, she could have scraped together uh, some tip money to put a down payment on a DC apartment. But I, I think she likes crying poverty a lot more than she actually lives in it. So what you're saying is she was the at- she was the typical uh, millennial socialist. <laughs> That's right. Sipping on her triple cap frappuccino, mm-hmm. typing away on her MacBook mm-hmm. while she attends an Occupy Wall Street demonstration virtually. <laughs> I think she's the perfect millennial socialist. Although, you know, if you haven't seen these polls, they're pretty scary. The majority of American millennials now identify as socialist. 
This is the first time an American generation has identified a socialist ever. Well, the good news is that Generation X has is identifying as conservative overall. So that's that's the best news. Right. So the the that's next generation right. coming up, the are... bigger generation, because X is bigger than uh, than than uh, millennial. Right, right, and there there is also or Z something. I Z. think there Z rather, yeah. I think there is something redeemable about the millennials, in so much as they're the, they're very left wing. They identify as socialists. They're mm-hmm. also the most anxious and depressed and stressed out and overprescribed and suicidal generation ever. This is a big worry. I think the big reason that they are that way is because they grew up without much of mo- uh, any kind of mooring. They didn't grow up with a lot, uh, much of a religious framework or much of a solid cultural foundation. A lot mm-hmm. of them grew up religiously unaffiliated. Uh, and basically secular materialism, and to give them a little credit, too, you know, basically all of their parents got divorced. They were all coddled. They Mm -hmm. Now that they're out in the world, they're so fragile. They're so easily broken. And so every generation has its uh, problems. It's very easy to make fun of millennials, and I do it all of the time. But I actually do see a little bit of hope for them, a little hope in so much as if we can write our political culture a little bit. If we can explain to them what socialism is, you know, the majority of American millennials are socialists. Only about 16% of them can define what socialism is. If we can just educate them a little bit, ground them a little bit, I think there's actually hope. They're clearly looking for some purpose. They're looking for some clarity. And they just, unfortunately, weren't able to find it in their very confused upbringing. Yeah, well, you know, that happens when you're basically uh, helicoptered over for the for the entirety of your life. And, you know, going back to the, the, the idea of finances and everything else, one of the biggest, uh, biggest proponents that people have today is retirement planning. Retirement planning is not something to be overlooked. You guys, you need to act now. You should contact Era Capital Management today. They can help put an investment plan into place using their in-house portfolio management process. It's your life, your era. Invest in it. Era Capital Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. Investing in all securities involves a risk of loss. Visit eracapitalmanagement.com or call them at 509-559-6229. 509-559-6229. eracapitalmanagement.com. Let them know that Mojo sent you. So... And getting back to the millennial ideas and the understandings of uh, of the loss and everything like that, one of the big losses that you had that you also mentioned is a loss of, of faith, a loss of understanding of, of the reality and the moorings of, of moral understanding. You can see that when people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez decides that she's just going to say, you, you know, it's not, it's okay to be, you know, right factually, but it's better to be morally correct. And she has no idea or no, no understanding of what moral actually means. That's right. You actually, I think, are seeing the fulfillment of what Pope Benedict predicted in 2006. The most consequential oration of the 21st century was was something called the Regensburg Address, and he identified radical subjectivism in our culture. There was a, a dictatorship of relativism. And this, I mean, a lot of thinkers have talked about this. And so Alexandria thinks, well, there are facts, there are things that we can call are factually correct. Mm-hmm. And then there's just morality, man. And, you know, that's just sort of what I think and what you think. Nobody can really prove it. They, they don't understand that 
of the metaphysical world is knowable to some extent as well. Obviously, we can know facts about the physical universe. We can know what the temperature is outside. We can know what uh, you know how fast our car is driving. But we don't live in a material world primarily. All the things that really matter to us are virtue, our liberty, our loves, our joys. All of that is immaterial. Mm-hmm. That's metaphysical. And I think there's just such confusion about what that metaphysical world is really like that they say, oh, ignore it, forget about it. It's sort of that very popular atheism of Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens or somebody. It's very shallow thinking. But mm-hmm. this is a generation that's been poorly educated, so shallow thinking, I think, is pretty convincing to them. This is also, by the way, why you see the central issue for Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow millennial Democrats is the Green New Deal, because everybody's got to serve somebody. Everybody has a religion. As Andrew Breitbart pointed out, politics is downstream of culture. Culture is related to the cult. It's it's downstream of what you worship. Mm -hmm. And for these people, the Green New Deal is the religion. So you might ask yourself, in this Green New Deal, which we were all laughing about, oh, yes. why, why, is there, why is it uh, going to knock down every building in the United States? Why does it include socialist health care, a universal basic income? Why does it take over whole industries? It's because it's a totalizing religious system. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a religion. It's unfalsifiable as a religion. And it... It even includes uh, buying indulgences in the form of tax, uh, carbon tax credits. Yeah. It, it has every aspect of a religion. And I think millennials who think that they're above it all, they're secular materialists, they don't realize the human heart has a longing for religion, a longing for the transcendent and the divine, and they're just simply focusing it on the wrong thing. They want to save the earth. They want to save the whole world and, and believe that that's within their power. And it's a fool's errand. I think that's why, you know, that document on the Green New Deal could have been written in crayon. But uh, it's uh, it, it's speaking to a natural longing that for them is just misguided. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's very much so. Um, and speaking of spiritual truth, spiritual understanding, um, uh, forgive me, I'm a Protestant. Uh, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Don't hold that. I, I don't listen, hold that against me. Not for me, me to forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> don't hold that against me. Is all I'm saying. Um, I'm a Protestant in that in that fashion. Uh, uh, I would be what a millennial would call non-denominational. I, I believe in Christ. I believe in the following. I believe in the Bible. Um, I read it daily. I I, I study it as best as I can um, to and understand it as best as I can. But um, I'm not a big fan of the the catchings of religion overall. But one of the big problems that uh, that both of our sects of religion uh, have come to face, whether it be you know Baptist or or Catholic and things like that, it is um, it's come to fr- uh, come to fruition that um, there's been a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing in the church as of late. Um, what's your thought on all, on all of these things? The latest has been uh, Southern Baptist in Texas. Um, they found what, like o- almost 200 different cases, 200 different victims gone across over the past 20 something years. Um, and this sort of thing, the Catholic church has been kind of riddled with it and, and, and back and forth over time. What's your take on, on that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I should, I thought the number was even a bit higher, but regardless, I'm sure it's high in all religious traditions. I wasn't at all 
surprised when I saw it with the Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised when I saw it with the Catholics. I say, you know, I think actually some Catholics reacted to it with with almost a sort of perverse relief. They said, "Oh, gosh, at, at least." One other religious tradition has this problem, and it's not just Catholics. I wasn't surprised at all. I also know Catholics who lost their faith over the sex abuse in the Catholic Church, as mm-hmm. though their faith hinged on the good works of their priests or bishops or something. Trust me, if my faith hinged on the good works of bishops, I would have very paltry faith, yeah, <laughs> especially exactly. these days. Well, that's that's the and, entire you know, point, a, yeah. And, and this is a problem that has... It, it, there's nothing new about this problem. Uh, there's, it's, it seems to be in the Catholic Church, in other religious traditions, Southern Baptists, that the rate of sex abuse is about 4%, which is about the national average. Rates of sex abuse among school teachers actually are higher than among uh, preachers and priests and bishops and those sort of people. And that's growing in the, in the, in the free, female, te- female teacher to male student ratio. That's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, when you just look at uh, the actual breakdown, you know, between the sexes. Mm-hmm. And the the issue that I found is when that Pennsylvania report came out, it was I was not shocked at the magnitude of the issues. I was not shocked about the scope of the abuse. We we knew when the majority of the abuse occurred. It happened coincidentally during the sexual revolution which was also a time of, of, of real lack of discipline in the Catholic Church. In great experiment, uh, experimentation. yeah. And it, uh, but it, what was so really genuinely shocking about it was the wickedness of it, the mm. Satanism of it all. I mean, there, it was really, when you, I read every single page of that Pennsylvania report, mm. and it makes one realize that evil has a personality. It makes you realize that this is not just some physical longing, some perverted priest you know, finds a little boy attractive or something like that, that there's a real personality to this evil. They would have them do satanic rituals. They would have them mock Christ or mock the host. It, it was coming from a, a, a much darker place than just the sins of the flesh. Mm. And this is true across different uh, traditions. Um, that's the nature, I guess, of a fallen world. I'm pleased that the attorneys general have looked into this. Mm-hmm. I'm terribly disappointed in the bishops and uh, Pope Francis's handling of this. It's been uh, pathetic. Uh, they always talk and talk and talk, and they say there's going to be transparency, and they say that there's going to be an anti-clericalism. And then what do you have? You have people covering up abuse. The yeah. abuse itself isn't isn't the, the surprising thing. It's a very sad and tragic fact of the world. It's the cover-ups. The cover-ups are really awful, and you simply don't see heads roll. They managed to get out that one perverted cardinal McCarrick, but what about the other bishops? What about and the what other, I've done, what about what the other priests? <laughs> What about the other priests? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, what they would say about the priests is that a lot of them are dead, uh, at least in the Pennsylvania report, because the abuse happened in the 70s or the 80s. Mm-hmm. A lot of the priests are dead. Okay, but what about the bishops who were covering it up? Some yeah. of those bishops are still alive. What about the cardinals? Uh, what about those guys? Uh, there seems to be no accountability for them. And so my recommendation to the uh, Southern Baptists who are really just grappling with this publicly for the first time mm-hmm. is to, to do as I do. I have not given, I've given to my church to keep the lights on every week. I have not given to the bishop's appeals. 
I have not given to the various organizations associated with the bishop. Until I see some accountability from them, uh, I think that the Catholic laity should vote with their wallets and their pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true of uh, the Baptists. I don't, I don't know exactly the hierarchical structures for the you Southern Baptists. You have the Southern but, Baptist but, Convention, and that's <laughs> that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I, it, that you shouldn't punish the local church. You should try to keep the lights on. People need priests, and, and right. they need to. They need spiritual edification, but certainly they should punish the hierarchy because a lot of these guys have shown they are cynical uh, clericalists who are not going to respond unless you exert serious political pressure on them. They want to behave like politicians, and they are, they're going to be treated like politicians by their constituents. Yeah, and that's that's just how it is. It's, it's your money and your purse that's going to take care of it. Now, um, you guys, if this turns your stomach like it turns mine— you should try Atrantil. Reason why? Well, Atrantil is the first ever over-the-counter proven solution for things like bloating, chronic IBT. Um, uh, if you have uh, issues with gluten intolerances, this is something that can help you. It is a 100% natural polyphenol designed uh, to address bloating problems and that begin uh, where they begin, not just to treat the symptoms. If you go to lovemytummy.com forward slash mojo, use the promo code mojo, you get a three-month supply. Normally a 90-capsule uh, 90 box, which is a month's supply, is thirty nine ninety five. You get $20 off. They save you 20 bucks on this for a three-month supply for 99 bucks. Lovemytummy.com forward slash mojo. Use the promo code mojo there. You get a three-month supply for only $99. And it really does turn my stomach. So it, it's... You have the Southern Baptist Convention, and when, when we said that, when we went through that entire process, you were talking about how you were going up through through the ranks and, of the clergy. And yeah, it's the Southern Baptist Convention. They literally turned away and shunned the people that were calling out the abuse. Right. They covered everything right. up. Every, every time that it happened, they kept on covering up, just like they did in the Catholic Church, going through, you know, just pushing them to a different church, pushing them to a different... <laughs> cathedral pushing them out and then it would just happen again and there is a real issue with uh, people being promoted in the church you know it's it's not just about sex abuse uh it's a a broader problem of some of the most excellent priests i've ever met Mm -hmm. true spiritual leaders saints on earth brilliant men uh, will never be promoted. They will never be promoted up the hierarchical ladder because, unfortunately, it does seem that in many cases the episcopate rewards mediocrity or rewards being a sort of company man mm. or rewards a certain strange loyalty. Yes. And so uh, and this goes all the way up. You know, Pope Benedict did a tremendous job laicizing priests and uh, people who had covered up abuse. There was, uh, famously, in this last flare-up, a letter from Archbishop Vigano, which uh, described how the McCarrick problem, he was, you know, an abuser, the cover-upper of of abusers, how this was brushed aside by the Vatican. Uh, Pope Benedict did what he could to remove him from the public, not to just shift him around, bar him from speaking, but he faced a lot of opposition. And ultimately, as you know, Pope Benedict resigned, the first priest to resign, or pope to resign in 600 years. We don't really know the circumstances of that resignation. I'm sure we won't for some time until historians uncover what happened. 
but it does give you a sense of the magnitude of the problem, the magnitude of the corruption, uh, not just sex, but financial corruption, uh, mm-hmm. Vatican Bank, which is always occurring, and, and uh, Episcopal mediocrity that is being rewarded. Uh, that's a daunting challenge. You know, the, uh, the church is, is always in need of reform, and uh, the church is always in need of, of uh, people of good faith who are really trying to correct it because it's – I guess the other reason why I was never surprised by the sex abuse scandals mm-hmm. is because I understand the personality of evil, and I think if I were the devil, what would I go after if not the church? If I were the devil – where would I focus all of my attention? Would I focus my attention on, on the creepy bars in Brooklyn? No, those places are doing well enough on their own. I would focus all of my attention on the bride of Christ, and uh, it seems that he's made some headway. Yeah, it does. It does seem that, that he has made some headway. It does seem that you know the church overall has, uh, has pushed you know, a, a big effort into that placement. And, uh, you know, I, I think and I hope and I pray that as it goes on and that as everything kind of hits to and hinders through, that, we're, that, we're, that, that we get to a place where we can actually say, okay, yes, we are past this point, that the, that the shepherds are actually shepherding the flock. Um, I would just hope that that happens sooner than later. You know what I mean? Well, it, there are periods of ups and downs. I hate to be the pessimistic-sounding one, but... Uh, because we're fallen creatures, I don't think we're ever going to root out sexual abuse. Where we can make some headway is uh, creating and incentivizing institutions whereby that abuse doesn't fester and whereby the abusers are brought to light sooner rather than later. That, I think, is possible. Mm-hmm. In the Catholic context, we are waiting on those reforms. The, the Pope has pushed off the conferences that we're supposed to address this issue. We'll wait on this. We'll wait a few more months. And so I'm anxious to see the reforms. Otherwise, what I suspect is that it's all going to be talk. Uh, Now, the one advantage that the Catholic Church has is millennia of history, institutional history, and at at least some checks, at least some uh, uh, places where the laity can turn and where good priests and good bishops can turn to try to fight this. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to something like the Southern Baptist Convention, I'm just not familiar with how that process would take place. And so the, you know, the one thing I can promise is that a scandal is never going to take down the Catholic Church. If, if, a, if the Catholic Church weren't scandal-proof, it would have fallen apart a very long time ago, probably many, many times. It just has a sort of uh, inertia to it. It has a, a real weight to it. Uh, whereas more recent faith traditions, I do fear that they're much more susceptible to scandal, and I'm not sure how they'll uh, fare in reforming themselves or rooting out the bad actors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely understand what you mean there, and that's 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 kind of the point going through. Um, let's kind of change gears here. Let's change gears a little bit and go through uh, what we have. So. I'm sure you've been on the road a little bit, right? So you've uh, yeah. have, have you been keeping up with the news as you've been on the road? I yeah, I've been keeping up. I've been doing the show sometimes from the road. I've been doing one of these tours with Young America's Foundation, where we've been hitting college campuses all over the country. I was at Emory last night. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, a couple nights ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great opportunity because you get to talk to all of these students. You get to hear if. 
if really the craziness on campus is as bad as the conservatives all say it is, or, or maybe we're exaggerating it a little bit. Right. And I am here to tell you, from the mouth of these students, it is actually worse than we all think it is. Really? It is somehow, the, the leftism, the persecution of conservatives, the totally hollowing out of the liberal education, from what these kids tell me, from what they show me, it is actually even worse than we can imagine. The preferred pronouns, the safe spaces, the kids being pulled out of class or having lower grades because they say things such as there are two biological sexes. It has really, truly, genuinely gone off the deep end. And I, I don't know how, talk about institutions reforming itself. I, I have uh, greater faith that the church will reform itself before Yale University will. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I can understand that being the case. <laughs> so, um with everything going on, you've been keeping up with the news. I, you know, I can't with the college system, I know what's wrong. We both know what's really going on there, what's actually been going, what's happening in those things that they've been hollowing out, that they've been doing that. But let's talk about let's talk about California a little bit, you know. Uh, I talked about this uh, on yesterday's show. Um Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, is, is going to get blindsided a little bit. She's going to get blindsided a little bit because, um, you know, apparently the, the, was it the governor over in California has sa- said that uh, long-distance rail is too expensive to continue going on <laughs> with their passage. Have you heard about this? I'm shocked. I'm really shocked to see this news. It turns out that that completely inefficient, completely overpriced, gigantic government project mm-hmm. is not going to work out as well as the left said it would. Oh, you mean that uh, that, that ten million dollar project that turned to seventy seven million by twenty fifteen? <laughs> or billion? Excuse me, I, billion, so, not million, it's billion. So weird. Who knew that the government shows up a day late and a dollar short? Who I always thought that they were such good stewards of the public money. Right. Turns out, not quite. It is, you know, this news couldn't have happened on a better week than just after this green new deal is proposed and, and totally becomes a laughingstock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have the green I, new I deal saw, and everything else going through. Yeah, continue, please. I, I saw, I mean, obviously, we all, we all knew that this high-speed rail in California was just a disaster. It was just a way to set piles of money on fire. But I have to say, in chaos, there is always opportunity, and I get such a kick now that our wonderful Senate Majority Leader, Cocaine Mitch, is going to bring the Green New Deal up for a vote. He Talk about a great wedge issue. He has come out and he said, I have read with great interest the Green New Deal, and I think it's about time that we get it on the record and we get the opinions of everybody uh, on the Green New Deal, have them out publicly. Of course, these Democrat senators are furious because if they support the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. then they're supporting a $40 trillion unpaid obliteration of 88% of American energy, outlawing airplanes, outlawing automobiles, right. outlawing people's houses. I mean, it's a, a ridiculous farce. But if they oppose the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. then all of these radicals who have come into Congress, all of the Ocasio-Cortezes, are going to lead the base against them. They may get primaried in 2020. They're really damned if they do, damned if they don't. And and Cocaine Mitch is just loving it. I think he's just reveling it. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's definitely reveling in it. I mean, the man is uh, cutthroat. 
If if everybody doesn't know that, the man, he seems all like turtle and slow and everything else, but the man is a cutthroat bastard. Oh yes, he he, he looks like a turtle and talks like a turtle, but that man is all shark. He has been a shark his whole career, and he knows exactly when to. He's sitting there, you know, maybe he's got his head inside his shell, but he knows when to make that move. He knows when to come out and snap. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly when that is. He's a, he's a big old snapping turtle, if anything else. Now, by the way, guys, <laughs> if, if you are not ready and raring to go, if you decided that you have been sitting back, waiting, and relaxing, maybe you should go to traguns.com. Go to traguns.com. Make sure that you are ready for anything. That's Tar River Arms is the company. They've modernized online firearm sales to accommodate the online generation. They have great guns at a great price and great service. It's veteran-owned and operated. Kurt has been a huge help here over at Mojo. They have weekly specials. They eliminate the shipping and the brokerage fees. Just tell them that Stephen over at Mojo 50 sent you. Go to traguns.com. Go buy the guns today. Matt wants every single one of them, so why not go and buy them out from underneath them? Because... You can, and it makes sense to do that. TRAguns.com. Tell them that Stephen over Mojo Five O sent you. Now, with with Cocaine Mitch and with everything else going on, what has been what has been the big thing that's been on your mind as, as you've been walking through uh, and going through these YAF conferences? Well, I think the biggest issue facing campus conservatives and young conservatives in the media is censorship. I think it's the censorship of big tech. Uh, it's the censorship on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And then obviously on campuses, it's censorship by professors and deans and associate deans, deputy associate, assistant deputy dean at inclusion or whatever, <laughs> all the way up to the office of the presidents of these universities. You know that's, actually, an, that's is, actually an office. You know that, right? <laughs> that is. They're running the whole campuses now. And uh, these guys are uh, obviously they're cutting away at the very heart of what the new media are. They're cutting away at what the heart of liberal education is supposed to be. And uh, it's only getting worse. They're only upping the attacks. You know, uh, my own show has been censored many times. Prager University has been kicked off of Spotify. Uh, many videos have been banned from YouTube. Uh, speakers, obviously, are banned from college campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, a program that I was involved in in college, the William F. Buckley Jr. program, now every year hosts a, a disinvitation dinner. You know, once a year, it's a black tie event, and they invite one of the myriad conservatives who have been disinvited from college campuses to give a speech at, at this dinner for their program. That sounds and awesome. Unfortunately, every year, it's, it's a great dinner, but the sadness is that every year the list of potential honorees gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So the list of honorees gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and and everything goes through. And these people go, and they're 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 awarded basically for 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 being honored as yeah. as kicked yeah. out. <laughs> That's right, because we're basically taking as conservatives, we take lemons and make lemonade. But when I talk to the kids on campus, this is this is the big issue: is the censorship, the feeling that they can't say what they believe, mm. that they'll be punished. For doing it. And then I say, well, of all of the things that you believe, one of the myriad issues, all the way from, I don't know, fix illegal immigration to lower taxes to support our country out of whatever, of all of those, what is the most contentious belief that you have? And you know what they tell me is the most contentious belief is that there are only two biological sexes. That is not a joke. 
they say the most outrageous, offensive thing you could possibly say is that men cannot really become women and that women cannot really become men. I can't have all of the issues. I, I, I have some self-awareness. I know that my politics are to the right of Genghis Khan. Yes. There are some things that people might find uh, objectionable uh, or, or at least confusing. Mm-hmm. They, they might not have considered politics from that angle. But of all of the issues, it seems to me the simplest one is that men are not women. And yeah. yet this is the predominant issue on campus. Then I would obviously be kicked off of campus almost immediately. Yeah, that's right. We don't do very well on campus these days. Again, I think what this gets to is that radical subjectivism. You know, the basic sin of our age right now is this deconstruction. We deconstruct everything. We deconstruct academic departments. We deconstruct literature. We debunk history. We dismiss religion. Mm -hmm. Now we literally deconstruct what it is to be a man what it is to be a woman. We deny those categories altogether. Uh, This can't end well. Uh, In fact, it creates a lot of contradictions. So in the leftist ideology of intersectionality, uh, what you you know, the basically the victim ideology, the identity politics ideology, Mm -hmm. what they say is if you are an extremist Muslim and you are or let's say that another person is a, a radical gay activist what you two need to do is band together against the top of the oppression pyramid, the straight white male who knows that he's a male. And even if the radical Muslim guy wants to throw the gay activist off of a building like they do throughout the Middle East. All the time. Even, even if that's the case. I think it happens all the time. Instead, what you have to do is band together to fight the chief oppressor. The only reality that these people will admit is not – uh, philosophical reality. It's not even really physical reality, the reality of sex mm-hmm. and gender. What they, The only reality they need is the reality of oppression. If you feel oppressed, then that is the only reality that matters. That is your lived experience. And if you can identify the oppressor, and they have done that, it's the straight white man who thinks he's a man, right. then uh, th- that, that character, that category is totally open for condemnation. You saw this with those Covington High School boys. There was a woman that immediately, those kids waiting for their bus in Washington, the crazy Indian man started banging a drum in the kid's face, the black supremacists were hurling insults at them, and everyone blamed the kids just for standing there. Right. And, and when the longer video came out, it showed the kids didn't do anything wrong. Uh, a senior culture writer for BuzzFeed came out, and she said, okay, maybe the video shows that we got this wrong. But you should at least understand why that faith caused a visceral reaction in so many. And what she's referring to is the fact that the kid was a white boy. There was an article in the Yale Daily News the other day, Mm -hmm. a student newspaper, about how all white, brown-haired kids at Yale are evil, all the the boys. Of course they are. Uh, they're, They're evil. They're the future Brett Kavanaugh's. And has there ever been a more villainous person on earth? Yes, yes there has. Yes there has. Uh, he is currently the governor of, of Virginia. Well, right. <laughs> and then the assistant governor uh, of Virginia or the, and then and then the uh, uh, attorney general. Uh, all of those, they're all worse. <laughs> well, it's amazing with that guy, Ralph Northam, 
the governor of Virginia, goes on the radio. He advocates killing babies yes. after they have been born. Yes. This doesn't rile up the Democrats. No. What riles up the Democrats mm-hmm. is that 35 years ago, he put on blackface in a costume. Yes. That was the end. The fact that today he advocates killing babies after they've been born, that, that's no big deal. Hey, look, we all do that. What about what about okay? So what about in 2016 when that one lady from the View, the old lady, I forget her name. Do you, do you know the lady I'm talking about? Joy Behar. Yes, or that one. Walters? 2016. Yeah. Behar. 2016 came Behar, out yeah. with a picture of her doing blackface when she was uh, when she was in her high, uh, in her college years as well. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, she wore blackface. I mean, all of these. Uh, Jimmy Fallon wore blackface. He did yes, a Chris he Rock impression. Yes, he has. Remember Ted Danson wore did blackface years ago. I mean, a lot. Oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Fa- uh, Jimmy Kimmel, rather, the, one of the most insufferable people. He did not only did he do blackface, he, he did, did Carl Malone. That's right, Carl Malone making fun of Carl Malone's intelligence. He did the whole blackface shtick. None of these people have to pay because being a Democrat means never having to say you're sorry. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> if they, you know, if they if they didn't have double standards, they would have no standards at all. It's the only way that I can see it. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 not an issue that you know, just like you said, it's not an issue that these people were killing babies left and right, saying that it's okay to actually wait for the baby to come out, be born, and then just leave them in a room by themselves until they die. Yep, that's okay. That's right. That's fine, but. It's not okay to have one time when you were in college possibly done blackface and done the moonwalk? Right. Well, I was just waiting for him to do the moonwalk at that press conference. Oh, you know he was I wanting to. You saw that, right? You saw in his face. He, he was, was trying. He was looking. Oh, yeah. Only his wife is the only one with sense in that family. But, of course, and I have to say, as far as Northam is concerned, Northam is obviously not a very intelligent man. And I, I pretty charming. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the understatement of the century. Uh, but what I find charming about it is that he's actually pretty honest. He's following the logic of abortion to its logical conclusion, Yes, which is that if it's okay to kill a baby at 24 weeks old, if it's okay, then in that case it's okay to kill a baby when it's 40 weeks old, when it's being born, as yes. is now legal in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. And if it's okay to kill a baby as it is being born, 40 weeks old, why on earth is it wrong to kill that same baby an hour later? Right. It's the same. The baby hasn't changed. It's been an hour or less. It's been two minutes. And as long as it's and your kid, he, it's okay to kill the child at any point in their life. That's right. As long as you, I mean, the kid turns 15. I was a 15-year-old boy once. I was a real jerk. You know, Maybe the mother says, you know, this is really affecting my mental health. This is really <laughs> having a negative effect on my, on my health. Yes. And so then she can off the kid by the logic of, of abortion, and as Governor mm-hmm. Northam lays it out, I think conservatives owe Governor Northam a, a huge debt for at least uh, being honest and, and taking away some of the bail. Yes, yes, uh, that is definitely the case, and, and it just comes, it goes to show that, you know, when, when it comes to this sort of thing, when it comes to actually drawing things to a logical conclusion, if you're honest with yourself about the situation— um, you may find yourself in places that nobody else wants to be. That's right. That's right. But so you have, um, we have Northrop, we have all of this crap going on. Um, but one thing that isn't straightened out and isn't for sure, you and I look almost nothing alike. And sir, we are both, <laughs> we, are both 
we have both been considered Rachel Maddow, that guy on MSNBS. <laughs> this, this is a very impressive thing. Maybe we're half sibling. Maybe. Maybe, you know, we only have half the same DNA. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on. It is it is beyond my comprehension. She is obviously your doppelganger, not mine. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I keep trying to invite her onto uh, my show, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. That, I, I think if she came on the show, probably the universe would implode. It might. I well, only if, it, touched, really, only if you touched. That's right. <laughs> it would, uh, but it also, I mean, this is part of why my schedule is so hard these days. It's why I've, you know, I'm not sleeping a lot is because I have to go do my show at the Daily Wire. Then mm-hmm. I'll, maybe I'll do an appearance on TV or something. Mm-hmm. But then I've got to hop over to MSNBC and be able to do my daily show. Yeah, you've got, got to go, go pedal the crap over at MSNBC. That's right. You know, look, it's really expensive over here in L.A., all right? It's really hard <laughs> to make ends meet. And so if it means I have to do one of the, the uh, uh, premier leftist uh, programs in the nation, I, I'll have to do it. You know, I'm willing to make sacrifices for my family. It, it's and a hard even, world. Even though, <laughs> <laughs> I just assume that basically any conservative podcast gets better ratings than Rachel Maddow's TV show. I think that's almost without without question right that's pretty much without question i mean i'm only on the radio and the internet and yet (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure i get better ratings than rachel maddow and that's pretty bad considering i've only been around for two years that's really not good (laughs) but if you're trying to get things straight if you are in trouble financially and maybe you need some help you know one of the biggest things that you can do is uh you can cut some of your bills one of your biggest bills to cut your cell phone bill. Why is that? Well, because most of your cell phone companies out there, they fund liberal causes that you hate. They're liberal gun grabbers and all of this other mess. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company, and it's doing the exact opposite. If you're fed up with uh, with disgusting policies like New York's abortion law that we just talked about, Bloomberg, Bloomberg's gun control plans, the stalemate over borders policies, and to make uh, just 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 go ahead and make the simple switch to Patriot Mobile. Join the thousands of American patriots using Patriot Mobile and get reliable nationwide coverage. And watch your hard-earned money find the First and Second Amendment rights. Excuse me. Fight for the First and Second Amendment rights, border security, and the sanctity of life. It's not only a veteran-led uh, organization, but they donate portions of your bill to conservative causes that you like, such as the he- uh, Heritage Foundation, the NRA, uh, Susan B. Anthony List, and so much more. Switching to Patriot Mobile couldn't be easier today. They have unlimited plans uh, for talk and text as starting as low as $20 a month. You can keep your phone. You can keep your service. If you call them at 1-800-A-PATRIOT or visit them, uh, at patreonmobile.com forward slash mojo. If you use the 1-800-APATRIOT, tell them that Mojo sent you. Uh, you can get up to two activation fees waived on the spot. So 1-800-APATRIOT, uh, tell them Mojo sent you, or patriotmobile.com forward slash mojo. Today, you can get that waived, and you can get great service at a great price, and you can help support conservative causes. Because MSNBS doesn't need your money anymore. Isn't that right? <laughs> I think that's I think that's probably about right. I think you've convinced me. I've got to go get a new cell phone after this. Well, you don't have to get a new cell phone, but you could at least get better service. <laughs> right. That is certainly. You know, even with all that, we were trying to get these uh, this interview to work today. Yeah. And the service kept cutting out. I think it's because I'm not using a, a, a suitably conservative uh, cell plan. I think they basically you've got. 
not just a big tech, but big cellular coming in and trying to shut us down. <laughs> big mobile trying to shut us down over the freaking Skypes. Over the Skypes, yeah. Big Mobile's trying to shut us down. <laughs> I can't believe it. You may have just hit the nail on the head. Go to PatriotMobile.com forward slash mojo. Get your new cell phone service today. So um, besides MSNBS, besides looking like Rachel Maddow, um, which neither of us actually do. It just happens to be that she has a boy's cut and is slight and is thin, um, which I'm only slightly thin. I can't really say too much. Uh, you know, I've. I've gotten fatter, fatter as the days have gone longer, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in the club. I, uh... It's 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 the whole getting married thing. You get married, you have kids, and suddenly you don't uh, look as thin and svelte as you used to. I mean, it's one of those situations. Uh, I haven't even had kids yet. I've just gotten married, and so now I eat three meals a day. Previously, <laughs> I would just eat whatever scraps were around me in the gutter. And, yes. And yeah, they just every day. I said, you know, man, these pants all keep shrinking. That's, I, that's a negative I side swear, effect. Of I swear somebody <laughs> just like takes it and takes an it takes about a quarter inch in every like two weeks. You know? Every three hours, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every three hours, every two weeks. Whatever. Yeah, it's neither neither yeah. here nor there. So um let's go back to the college thing. So we've have because the generation coming up, we have uh, Generation Z. Generation Z is about to get into college. And Generation Z, if you don't know, um, they're very much like the people that listen to uh, Mojo Five O, the people that listen to um, the Daily Wire and things like that. See, we over at Mojo Five O, the people that listen to us, we can uh, we we passionately call them the Jack Hole Nation. Um, so uh, no holes there. But they, the the Generation Z coming up is very much Jack Hole um, in in likeness. They they don't care. They don't care what you think. They're going to do exactly what they're going to do, and they're going to make money doing it. Um, I see that as a good thing, and I see that as maybe the downfall to the college industry, as it were. Um, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. I noticed this uh, even on our show, the Michael Knowles show, or on our other Daily Wire shows. <laughs> the audience, I think the median age is like seven. You know, these kids are all very young. <laughs> it's crazy. They're all in college. Some are in high school. Yeah, and they're, they're uh, very curious. I think they've got much more level heads than millennials do and, and then older generations mm-hmm. generally have had. And uh, they're really, really funny. I mean, this might be the defining feature of them. There's a, a meme that goes around which says the left can't meme. The left uh, is, is just not good at Internet humor. The Why NPC? Because the left. Right, yeah. Well, the, yeah, they don't get the NPC. They don't get any of them. And, and it's because they, I think, one, have a really tragic view of the world. Mm. Not even tragic so much as a doer and sad and ugly and pessimistic. Uh, you know, Horace Walpole, the gothic novelist, said that life is a comedy to the man who thinks, and a tragedy to the man who feels. And mm-hmm. the left is governed by this tyranny of feelings right now. They're just all angry and sleeping and yelling all the time, whereas for the Generation Z, they're thinkers. They're a little more curious. They're, they're a little more logical, and they're really funny. And they can see, just to use the Green New Deal for an example, mm. how many times have we been told that within 10 years, global warming is going to kill us all, the polar bears will all be dead, New York will be underwater, Florida will be underwater, everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket. Yes. 
and it doesn't ever happen. It's always going to happen a day after tomorrow. And I think uh, the Gen Z in particular, they just identify that. They can make fun of it. They can mock it. They can uh, see the polarity, the incongruities when you, when you juxtapose the leftist view of reality with reality itself. Yes. And uh, this, this, I think, has brought them over in a you know, really conservative way. Maybe they're not all Reagan revolution types wearing Brooks Brothers ties and blue blazers, but they've got a real conservative uh, character to them. And I think they follow in a, in a bright, Bardian sense. They understand that the culture is where it's at. The culture is going to define politics. And so they're, they're much more culturally attuned mm-hmm. than maybe the millennials who are basically sort of technocratic, idealistic policy wonks. Yes. Uh, but, but policy, who cares about the policies? You've lost the culture. You've lost it all. Yeah. And that is that is one of the biggest things. And I think the the culture that's coming out now, you know, with uh, with with Twitch and TikTok and all of these applications, it, it is the internet generation. It is the generation that's going to be bred online. And these people that are coming up nowadays, they're they're seemingly more independent um, with almost everything and every aspect that they have, and uh, their their ideas and their understanding is very. Um, they're very open when it comes to ideas on how to do things right and how to make things better. They take uh, they take criticism well, it seems, instead of just running and hiding in a corner and crying themselves to sleep. Um, they actually want to do better. They want to succeed, and they find their own mentors. They find people that they see as successful and continue down their footsteps instead of just letting the government handout do what it does. Or, or even letting the linear corporate media do what they do. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the way that I come to interact with these kids is because they seek out my show. It's not like I'm on a linear television network that they just have on in the background. Right. They come seek it out. They'll come seek out your show on the internet. They'll go and find. Maybe they'll go down a rabbit hole. They'll watch a Stephen Crowder video, or they'll watch mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a... a uh, Jordan Peterson video or something. Somehow maybe they'll watch a Ben video. Maybe they'll watch. They'll come on over, and they're they're seeking that information themselves. It's not being just fed to them in a pre-approved manner. And I think that's why their thought is more interesting. I think it's why their politics is more interesting. And and I think we can look with with genuine hope mm-hmm. uh, for their future, for what they're going to do in their personal lives and in their public lives, uh, because. They're, they're charting their own course. They're not being force-fed a pre-written narrative. Exactly. And that is kind of the best thing about it. We have... Actually, that's a good note to end on right there. Music's coming in. Everything's hitting. That's a good note to end on. These people, the next generation coming up, is the future of what we have. These guys are coming through, and they are going to burn the bridges and create new trails. Guys, this has been uh, Stephen Ayer with Defenders Live on Mojo Five O. I've had Michael Knowles with me. Go check him out. He has the Michael Knowles Show on the Daily Wire. Um, you can go buy his books and everything else. Go check out the Daily Wire. Michael, do you have a website specifically? Uh, well, I always say go find the Daily Wire, but if you forget, you can find it on my website, MichaelJKnowles.com. MichaelJKnowles.com. Ram, all that kind of stuff. Yep. There you go. MichaelJKnowles.com. Go to DailyWire.com figure out all the stuff there. I get a lot of news from that side as well as, uh, as we dive through. We'll check it out. 
Good night, Doc Thompson. We know where you are. Anyang. Now you go home.